We continue our series in 1 John today titled Full Assurance. Uh, That phrase is lifted from a verse in Hebrews uh, that speaks of the full assurance that faith brings. That's faith in Jesus, of course. And the Apostle John said that he wrote this little letter of 1 John for this purpose, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know. So that you may know. In the scripture passage we'll read today in just a few moments, uh, we'll, we'll hear these verses, these lines. We know that we have come to know him if, and this is how we know we are in him. So the whole series talks about knowing and kind of how we know, and we'll get into the details of that. But before we dive into the how do you know, I think it's important to, to think for a moment about what it is that we're knowing. What are we talking about coming to know here? Look, look at these. Oh, sorry. Can we go back to those two scriptures really quick, uh, David? Yeah, those. Uh, I want you to look at these. We have come to know him, meaning God. We have come to know God if, and then the next verse, this is how we know we are in him. I take that to mean in Christ. You know, the scripture speaks often, the New Testament speaks often of union with Christ, being united with Christ uh, by God's grace through faith in Jesus. So we're, we're in Christ in that way. So that's what we're talking about knowing. Can you know those things for real? Can you know that you have come to know God more than a religious idea, but as a person? And can you know, not wonder, hope, keeping fingers crossed, can you know that you are in Christ, that you have been united with the risen Lord Jesus Christ and exist in that union right now? Can you know that? The letter of 1 John says, yes, it is about Christian certainty. It was written so that Christ followers might know that our relationship with God is secure. I, I mentioned, uh, I was going to say last week, it's a couple weeks ago now because of our snow day. Um, I mentioned that uh, we're relying heavily on John Stott's little commentary on 1 John uh, for this series. It's, it's an older commentary, but it is so very good. And Dr. Stott uh, sees the apostle John suggesting in this letter three tests that one might use to assess our relationship with God. And I mention this because in this particular preaching series, we're not going to go straight through the letter of 1 John, and I want to explain why that is. We're going to look at the three tests. There's, uh, There's a moral test, the test of obedience. There's a social test, the test of love. And there's a doctrinal test, the test of what it is that we believe about Jesus, the test of belief. So today we're going to read the chunks of the letter that have to do with that first test because the Apostle John introduces them all in the first part of chapter 2 and then circles back to them later in the letter to kind of unpack each of those tests a bit more. So we're going to read kind of weird chunky parts and that's why. So we're looking today at the test of obedience. So let's listen now to the scripture. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, 
but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Then on to verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Don. So last week, uh, during our little snow, snow Sunday, um, we did a little family worship time in our house, uh, which involved, like, finding some YouTube worship videos and, like, singing and stuff. And, and Crystal looked at me and said, hey, can you just give, like, you worked really hard on the sermon. Can you just give a short version of it? To, uh, so I've got Jack and Tucker and Crystal there, and I, I had to think really quick. Um, uh, our boys are, are very bright, very smart sixth and fifth grade. So how do I translate this whole thing to like middle school level? It was a wonderful exercise. So let me lead with that. Uh, Because we read this scripture, and I don't know if you had the same feeling I had when I read it. I thought, man, I'm out. (laughs) Right? So if you're born of God, you can't go on sinning? Well, I know myself, so that means I must fail this test. So the point of this sermon is to explain how we ought to understand the scripture because that is not what the Apostle John is saying here. I think he's saying something that's super helpful for us. So don't get stuck on that. We'll get to that. That's the point of the sermon. Listen now and we'll get to that. Deal? Okay. 
So we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Uh, if, you were, if you were to kind of do the original language homework and translate this verse word, word for word from the Greek, it would read literally, and by this we know. And by this we know. It's repeated so often in this letter of 1 John. The apostle John was writing to a congregation uh, where a big chunk of folks had left the church and were claiming that Jesus wasn't really the Christ. So big theological brouhaha, right? Question about who Jesus is and what he did and all that. And a big chunk left. So the congregation that remained was left kind of rattled, wavering. Like, what, what, do we, what do we believe? What should we believe? To them, it felt like everything was shaking. Uh, so the Apostle John wrote to them and encouraged them by teaching them how they could know that their relationship with God is secure. Uh, the book of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. You know, in, in this life, it can feel sometimes like everything is shaking. Everything's uncertain and unsteady. Uh, what, what the apostle is doing here is he's teaching followers of Jesus how to ground themselves in that which cannot be shaken in a world that often feels so shaky. So when it feels like the world's coming undone, for whatever reason that might be in your life, when it feels like our lives are unraveling, when it feels like everything's spinning out of control, we can know that we belong to God. We can know that, that by God's grace through faith in Jesus, we've been transferred into an unshakable kingdom. And the Bible uses that kind of language for followers of Jesus. When you come to faith in Christ and trust God with your whole life, you're transferred from one kingdom to another. Look what Colossians says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I, was, I thought about uh, travel metaphors. You get a transfer ticket and to show you've transferred from here to there. You've been transferred into a new kingdom that is unshakable. While it might feel like everything is shaking, that kingdom is unshakable and our relationship with God through God's grace and faith in Jesus is secure, is certain. So how do you know that? How do you know? that your relationship with God is secure. Again, the Apostle John suggests three tests. The first one, the test of obedience. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands, if we keep his commands. So we can zoom out and observe our lives from, from 30,000 feet and ask, am I keeping the Lord's commands? Uh, now the word keep means to guard, obey, or observe, not keep like keep in a cabinet or something but to obey them, that's what this means. To keep God's commands means to obey them, observe them, guard them in the sense of seeking to apply them in our lives. Jesus uh, said it very directly, if you love me, keep my commands. Seek to do what I say, right? So one way to assess one's relationship with God is to check yourself to see if you're trying to follow Jesus by doing what he said. It's a very kind of simple test, right? 
If you are, you can be assured that your relationship with God is secure, that you know God and are in Christ. Because that's what we're coming to know, right? That you know God as a person and that you're united with Jesus. Now, again, I know what you're thinking. Like me, but I don't keep God's commands perfectly, so do I fail the test? Am I unable to have the full assurance that faith brings because I'm imperfect and still do wrong? Well, look at what comes next. Verses four and six in in chapter three. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, it's referring to Jesus now, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So there there are three pieces here. The first is a definition of sin. The Bible has many, but this is a very direct one here. Sin is defined as breaking the law. That means breaking God's law. God's law contains God's commands. So breaking the law means that we're not keeping God's commands, right? By definition, sin is the violation of God's commands, which again is the opposite of keeping God's commands. So go back to the test. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. So boop, 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 problem. That's the first piece. The second piece is this. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. So this is about what Jesus came to do in the gospel repeated over and over again in so many different ways in the scripture. He, he appeared, meaning came in person in the flesh. Remember, that was an issue in this church. He came in the flesh. This is Christmas. Jesus wasn't just a human being. He was fully human and fully God. He was the Christ. He came in person in the flesh at Christmas to do something, namely to take away our sins. And that in the original language, that phrase take away means to rescue us to rescue us from our sins. And this is the simple way of talking about what salvation, according to the Bible, is. What it is that Jesus came to save us from. The biblical understanding of salvation is that Jesus came to save us from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. The three Ps, so very helpful. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And sin separates us from God, puts a big wedge in that relationship, there's a separation there. And I I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. For a long time, uh, before I was a follower of Jesus, I heard the word sin, and my initial reaction was, I'm not that bad. I'm not that, I mean, I do okay. And then I, I went through this kind of growth phase. I came to understand that the word sin was actually a word used in ancient archery and refers very technically to the degree to which the archer missed a perfect bullseye. That was sin. That was helpful to me because I thought, well, okay, I'm not shooting perfect bullseyes every time in my life. I can at least acknowledge that. There's a little variance from the perfect, right? That, that's me. And then, then I came to understand sin is this relational concept, really primarily a relational concept with God, not a, not a behavioral thing, but sin is relational and separates me from God. And then I, then I started to understand that I could feel that separation in this life. I remember one of the first times I was reading through uh, the Bible as a Christian, I read through Genesis 4. That's the story of Cain and Abel. You know, Cain kills his brother Abel and, 
and then God comes back and there's a curse that's applied to him. And, and do you remember Cain's response? He said, this is more than I can take. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And I thought, that's how my sin makes me feel. Makes me feel like a restless wanderer. The restlessness. And I would submit to you that you can see this in our culture, in our world, everywhere. The, the restlessness, the unsettledness of human beings living in an unreconciled state with the God who made them. Uh, it's our shared need. We all need to come back. So Jesus came to save us from the penalty of sin, this, this permanent separation from God. He came also to save us from the power of sin. That's, that's sanctification. Becca led a wonderful confession up here and explained it so well. Jesus saved us from sin. We come back to Christ in confession because we're in the process right now of being saved from the power of sin in our life now. That's the, the ongoing work in, of God in the life of a Christian. And the great promise is that uh, one of two things will happen. Either we will die to this life or Jesus will return. And at that point, we will be finally and fully saved from the very presence of sin. The struggle you have with sin will be no more. It will be gone. Our sister, Pat Kutsir, is experiencing that wonderful salvation right now. And we rejoice in that. So Jesus came to save us from these things. Jesus came to, say, to, t to take away our sin, to rescue us from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. That's the second piece. The third piece is this. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Ouch. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Double ouch. I mean, this is the tension, right? Does this mean that if I mess up in life, that I have neither seen Jesus nor ever really known him? Because when you read it first, that's the quick takeaway, right? That question is amplified by verse nine in chapter three. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. That seems to read that you know, I shouldn't be capable of sin if I'm a real Christian. Now, I struggle with ongoing points of weakness in my life. I know you do too. Find myself very capable of diverting from what I know the Lord desires. I know you struggle with the same thing. This is common to all human beings. Does this verse mean I'm not really a Christian? I mean, it's easy to read this one verse and think it means true Christians will never sin and are incapable of sin. But we need look back no further in the scripture than chapter one of this very same letter to show that that's not the case. Look what the apostle wrote in chapter one. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay, well, there we go. So I'm a dumpster fire just like you are. Uh, I'm riddled with sin, continue to struggle with it. So what do we do with the, if you're born of God, you can't sin anymore bit? If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. It's very clear that John is not teaching that Christians will not and cannot sin. So what then is he teaching? Here it is again, no one 
who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Let's break this down. First, no one who is born of God will continue to sin, will continue to sin. If you look at what that word actually means, it refers to the settled habit of sin, not an isolated act. That's important. The settled habit, not an isolated act. Then that phrase, they cannot go on sinning. In in that little phrase, the verb tense makes all the difference. This does not mean that a Christian is incapable of committing a sin. That, that, That phrase, cannot go on sinning, means one is not able, the Christian is not able to sin habitually without interruption. It has this sense of ongoing. The verb tense in Greek is more complicated than our verb tenses in English can express. And there's this sense that it's an ongoing action without interruption. The point, I think, that the apostle John is making is that sin is incompatible with the new nature that a Christian receives by God's grace through through faith in Jesus. There's a disconnect there. He's not saying that individual sins are impossible for the Christian. Dr. Stott has a great section to explain this. I'm gonna read it. I think I put it on the little insert sermon note thing as a takeaway too. The, the sin a Christian does not and cannot do is habitual and persistent sin. He may sin sometimes, even with the consent of, mind, of the mind and the will, but he is overwhelmed by grief and repentance afterwards, and the whole direction of his life is towards God and holiness. His mind is set on the spirit and on the things above, not on earthly things. Eyes are never are ever towards the Lord, whom he sets before him always. His eyes are fixed upon all God's commandments. His heart is also fixed. An even older uh, commentator wrote this, although the believer sometimes sins, yet not sin, but opposition to sin is the ruling principle of his life. That was very helpful to me. I hope it is to you. The, The phrase ruling principle. That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. If because of God's grace and your faith in Jesus, the ruling principle of your life is not sin and the pursuit of it, but rather opposition to sin and the resistance of it, the certainty of which the Apostle speaks is yours for the taking, I believe. Or put another way, If you acknowledge your sin, have asked Jesus to save you from it, and are resisting sin in your life, you are keeping God's commands and can know that you have come to know God and are in Christ. John explains why a Christian won't continue in habitual sin without interruption. Because they have been born of God. Because they have been born of God. Jesus was very clear, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And again, culturally, our culture has done really weird things with the phrase born again. Uh, Jesus was talking about the new life that begins in us when we repent, literally when we change our thinking, change our mind about God and what's really going on in this world, and believe the good news, align our life to the change of thinking. The Holy Spirit comes and fills us anew. It's an experience Christians have tried to describe with words throughout the centuries. Words are quite incapable of describing the fullness of that experience, but it is real and it is true, and I have experienced it. 
This involves acknowledging your enormous need, admitting your complete helplessness, asking Jesus to forgive you and help you, and placing your trust, your reliance in what God has done for us in Christ, what Jesus did on the cross. You're setting the whole weight of yourself down on Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. And in so doing, God comes running to us. Wonderful picture of the, the prodigal son, right? When he, uh, when he said, hey, my, my, my approach to this is not getting me anywhere. I need to go home. And he was on the way home. When, he, when his head came over the horizon, right? The father was sprinting to him. That's the image of God coming to us when we turn back home. Right? There's a party in heaven whenever a human being comes home to God in this way. When, when we do this, we're united with Christ, the Bible says. We are transferred into a new kingdom that is unshakable by any situation in this life. And we are in Christ. Says the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. We get a new nature on the inside. We still struggle with our old sinful nature. It's not entirely gone quite yet. It's kind of like there's two operating systems running in there, right? But there's something completely new running alongside the old. It is new. Says the Apostle John, in this test of obedience, the standard for knowing your relationship with God is secure is not sinless perfectionism, but the transformation of the inner person that comes from new birth in Christ. And if you're new, you know. If you're new, you know. Again, the very literal translation, by this, we know that we have come to know him. And by this, we know. So here's the test again. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. I hope this comes as a great assurance to you. Uh, it can also come as a great challenge to us, depending on where we are in our, in our relationship with God. But this is the test. It's not being perfect. It's whether the ruling principle of your life is sin and the pursuit of sin, or an acknowledgement of your need of turning to Christ and a resisting of sin. One last piece, if you do something and in your heart you know it was wrong and you turn around and try to make that right, that's an indication that you're seeking to follow God's commands, right? Because of the presence of the Spirit in your life and the new nature you've received from God. And by this, we know we have come to know him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you that in this world uh, that is ever-changing, that at times uh, feels shaky, uh, thank you that we can know. Thank you that you have not left us alone to figure it out on our own, but that you have come to us in person to show the way, to be the way. Uh, help us where we are today, God. If there's any barrier in front of us, in moving forward with you. I pray, God, that you pour out your spirit 
and provide, provide a way uh, through, over, around that barrier. Uh, provide what's needed for us to move forward with you. We know that you do that. We don't come to you because of our strength and, and generating faith. We come to you because you draw us. So would you please, Lord, draw all of us to you, pour out your spirit, and bring us home to you. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen.